Paul closes out the book of Galatians much as he opened the book of Galatians. Now, we might be a little bit surprised because he has had some very difficult and hard things to say in this letter. Some things that have probably upset some of the listeners uh, in his audience there in the churches of Galatia. But in Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 16, he says, And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and the Israel of God. The very opening of this letter in chapter 1 and in verse 3, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of the songs that were selected this morning that we've been led in throughout our worship have introduced this idea and notion of peace. And that's how Paul ends and opens this letter of, to the Galatian churches. And I think as we have tried to emphasize that what the book of Galatians is really about is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the gospel of Jesus Christ establishes peace, that we have peace with God, but we also have peace with one another. And our relationships with one another are supposed to be a blessing to each and every one of us. Ultimately, peace should be the result of our fellowship and our partnership together in the gospel. And so just as Paul's letter began and ended with peace, so should our relationships in Christ begin and end that way. Our relationships with one another should be peaceful relationships. There should be very few times where there are conflicts. And whenever there might be conflict, we need to be quick to resolve those conflicts so peace can reign supreme in those relationships. And so I think it's important for us to stop and just appreciate the importance of peace. And Paul, he makes this interesting statement in verse 16 of chapter 6. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I think it's important for us to first understand who he is speaking to and what he's speaking about whenever he identifies this as the Israel of God. You'll bear in mind last week we talked about the blessing of Abraham and how whenever we are as Christians, when we live by faith, when we are justified and when we are put into Christ, when we are clothed with Christ in baptism, that we are then part of Abraham's family. Perhaps you'll remember that from last week. And so that is, I think, what Paul is here referring to. The descendants of Abraham, in a very physical way, were, was the nation of Israel. And as now, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you and I, even as Gentiles, can be added into that family of Abraham. We are part of the family of Abraham. We are part of a spiritual Israel that I think Paul is trying to here refer to. And so he is speaking to people of faith. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the church of Jesus Christ, as we might say today. And so Paul, as he is wishing for peace to be upon the Israel of God, he wants peace to reign in the church. 
of Jesus Christ. And so we might then ask, well, how is peace supposed to be part of the Lord's church? I think Paul has some very clear things to say to us here in the book of Galatians, and particularly in chapter 5 and chapter 6, that will help us understand how we can have and keep and maintain peace within the local church. And the first thing is, we have to have peace because we are committed to following the truth. And this doesn't want to adjust here. Um, Josh, do you mind hitting the next button for me? Thank you. Uh, in chapter 5 and in verse 7, Paul, as we have referenced this passage throughout our study, as Paul has been talking about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, and how we are given liberty through the gospel, and yet there were people who were trying to hinder that. They were trying to stop them from being obedient to the gospel. And Paul, he asks them in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 7, he says in a statement, you were running well, that is past tense, that you were doing right, yet someone has hindered you, someone has stopped you, someone has interfered with your running and your exercise of faith. He asks, who hindered you from obeying the truth? If we are going to have peace with God and peace with one another, then we have to have a, a commitment to keeping the faith. We have to always keep the truth. We have to have a love for the truth. We have to have a desire to always do what God wants us to do. It has to be first in our commitment and in our life. If we're going to have true peace within the church, there's not going to be any peace if we cannot agree on the matters of faith and teaching and doctrine. In Galatians chapter 1, that's why Paul says in verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And he goes on to talk about how then it's, there's not really a different gospel or another gospel. It's just really that there are some people who have distorted and twisted and perverted the truth. And they have now come in and they are keeping people from being obedient to the truth. And if we're going to have peace, then we have to be committed to keeping the faith. And that's the kind of faith, or that's the kind of peace that Paul wishes upon the churches. It can only be shared when we are committed to having and keeping the common faith in the book of Ephesians. At the end of Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 23, notice what Paul says. In Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 23. He says, peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. I love that statement, how Paul closes out that letter to the Ephesians. Peace to the brethren and love with faith. Many times you've probably heard of the, the triad, sort of the Christian triad of 
uh, hope, faith, and love. Well, here Paul doesn't talk about hope as much, but he talks about peace, faith, and love. Perhaps there's a new triad that we need to recognize some in our reading and our understanding. Because Paul, he wants in these peaceful relationships that we have with one another, he wants faith to be a common denominator. He wants love for each other to be the expression of that faith and our peace is a result of our commitment to faith and love. Faith, love, and peace, they help us to remain loyal to God and faithful to God. Notice in the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus was talking about discipleship and following Him and being committed to following Him throughout difficult trials and circumstances, even whenever things are difficult, He says in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 32, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And then notice what he goes on to say in verse 34, Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. That seems like an odd statement from Jesus, doesn't it? To say that I did not come to bring peace. He says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own or of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus' point? Jesus is trying to get us to see that if we forsake our first commitment as disciples of Jesus, if we forsake following God, if we forsake and abandon the truth, if we turn away from the faith, what's going to be the result? It's not going to be peace. It's going to be division. It's going to be heartache. It's going to be disappointment. That's what Jesus is trying to convey to us. And so if we are going to have peace, the point being is that if we're going to have peace, then we have to remain committed to following God and following Jesus Christ. We have to be committed to the faith and we have to be willing to do what He says. Second point this morning. This is still not there, Josh. Good job. I'll try to give you some good hints, some transition words, second or third or fourth. <laughs> Our second point this morning if we want to have peace in the church, it is going to be because we love one another. In Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 14, Paul, he says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And all this is Paul is talking about as he's talking about our freedom and our liberty. He says in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5, 
For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Then he makes that statement in verse 14 about the whole law is fulfilled in that statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Then he offers a warning in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Liberty is a wonderful blessing. The freedom that we have in the gospel. But there is a warning that Paul wants us to acknowledge and understand that as we have liberty, we have freedom. That's not permission to just do what you want to do. That's not permission for you to ramrod over somebody else. Paul says, even though there's freedom, even though there's liberty, there is still something that you have to acknowledge. The rule and the law of love. You have to love others. Which is very interesting in the context of the book of Galatians as Paul is dealing with the Judaizers who are demanding that Gentiles keep circumcision and the law of Moses. What he's saying is that you don't even really understand the law. You don't love these people. You're trying to enforce something that God never enforced on them. You don't love them. You are violating the very law that you say you are keeping. And so there is a sense of irony in what Paul is saying here. But as he is talking about love for one another, love for each other should cause us to acknowledge that we need to remove backbiting, fighting, strife, and gossip. It's the principle that probably many of our mothers taught us that if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That is one of the best principles that you live by. That's why mothers know best. And that's why Paul says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Because you know what happens? Whenever there's a bunch of gossip and backbiting and strife internally, you know what ends up happening? It is extremely contagious. It is extremely contagious because if I start having negative things to say and I start telling you about those things, then guess what? You're just going to want to pass that along about how bad things are, about how awful things are. And so it just breeds more and more Corruption within the church. And we cannot stop and appreciate what God has done that has benefited us. And whenever there is backbiting and infighting, it destroys the peace that we are supposed to have within the body of Christ. And we end up consuming one another. The devil doesn't have to do anything at that point. He's, he's just had it easy. Because it's like a cancer where we eat up ourselves from inside. But the way of Christ and the way of the Gospel emphasizes that we need to seek peace with one another. In 
the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 18, Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, behold, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul, he wants us to see that even whenever people are trying to provoke us through their malicious actions and maybe through their gossip about us, we need to not pass along that same evil spirit. It needs to stop with us. That's why he says, so long as it is possible, it depends on you. Yes, someone else may not be living right. Someone else may have some bad things to say about me. Or maybe you. And it might be completely unfair and untruthful. But even if it, it whenever you approach somebody like that, or whenever someone has only negative things to say, do not allow that to become an excuse for you to speak ill against them. You continue to live at peace with them. You do good to them. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 44, as he was talking about uh, in correcting some of the ideas that you shall love your neighbor but hate your enemy, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love needs to be the thing that motivates us and pushes us. If we're going to have peace within the church, it begins with love for one another. Yes, there are going to be times whenever we have to learn to be patient with people. Or people might disappoint us. Maybe they say something that irritates us. Maybe they say something that is untruthful. Maybe they gossip about us. But we need to learn to be patient and to pray for them. Thirdly, we need to live right. In Galatians chapter 5, in Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 16, we need to recognize what Paul says here. As he says in Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 16, that there is a conflict that we are engaged in. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He goes on to say and warn about the things of living by the flesh, the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. And it's important to recognize what Paul is doing here. And if we're going to have peace within the church, 
It begins with taking care of our life. How we live. That's why Paul would go on in verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is supposed to guide us, and that's why he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And he talks about the harmful things that the flesh brings with it. That the things that we might be wanting to do, the desires that we might have and the lust that we might fulfill. He says in verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Aren't those some words that are very anti-peace? Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing and things like these. Paul's saying this is not an exhaustive list. There's a lot more that you could think of. But for demonstration purposes, he's saying this is not what you're supposed to be doing because if you live that way, he says, those who practice such things, verse 21, will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we live by the flesh, we will be disinherited from the kingdom of God. We will lose that inheritance that we are striving for, that we want so badly to be a part of. And if we're going to have peace in the church, then all of these things are against that. They are opposing peace. If we are going to be given over to outbursts of anger or strife and jealousy, that is only going to stir up all, all the problems that we could ever imagine that would destroy peace in the body of Christ. And so if we're going to have peace in the church, then we have to learn to live righteously, which is what Paul is wanting us to see as he describes that as the fruit of the Spirit. You need to allow the Spirit to have its produce in your life. The product of the Spirit is going to bring love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things, that's the recipe for peace. Because when I have a love for God and a love for you, or when I, have a, when I rejoice in the truth, or whenever I have peace with God, through the sacrifice of Jesus, and when you have peace with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus, then we are able to share in peace with one another. When I have patience, well, that's a tough one, isn't it? Sometimes to be patient with people. Patience in our relationships with one another. Sometimes people do things that frustrate us, don't they? And, and we, we're, we want to retaliate. We need to learn to have patience in the church. Or faithfulness to God. We need to be faithful. We need to allow those things to live. And when we are committed to that, when we are living righteously, then when we are living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, as Paul describes... 
When we are doing that, then our love for each other is going to grow. Our peace in the church is going to flourish. That's what Paul is wanting us to stop and appreciate, I believe. That if we're going to have peace in the church, we have to live right. We have to be committed to living the right way and putting away the deeds of the flesh because those are the things that will corrupt our peace and destroy it very quickly. Another thing that we need to recognize that will help us maintain peace is bearing each other's burdens. Notice in Galatians chapter 6, and read with me in, in Galatians verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. If we are going to have peace in the church, then I'm going to have to not look inwardly. I can't be focused on my life. I have to be attentive to the needs of you and others. And the same thing for you. You can't be focused inwardly. You have to be focused outwardly. You have to look for the needs of other people first. That might mean their spiritual struggles, which Paul is talking about here, that if anyone is caught up in a sin or a trespass, you who are spiritual, you go and restore that person. You go restore that person. You need to restore that relationship so that fellowship can be maintained. Be attentive to their spiritual needs and their spiritual struggles. Be attentive to their temptations. That's part of bearing each other's burdens. We might need to also be attentive to their physical burdens. Some of the physical hardships that people might have that come with age or with weakening bodies and disease. We need to be attentive to those things. We need to be watchful for people. We need to look out for others. Because in the local church, we are to be busy. We're not to just sit on the sidelines and watch others. We are all supposed to be committed we are all supposed to be busy and we need to be busy helping fellow Christians because we don't want to see them struggle alone. Now Paul also acknowledges that there are going to be some things that you just cannot do for people. He says in chapter 6 and in verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. There are going to be some things that if I were to be caught up in some sin or some trespass and you come to me and you say, hey, Sean, I think you need to think about this. Whose responsibility is it to change? It's mine. You can't change for me. As much as we might like to help somebody change, there's going to be limits to what we can help and do. 
But the principle is there that we have to be busy helping. We need to create an atmosphere and a culture in which we are there for people. Because the work of the local church is too great for just one person or just a few people. We have to share that load. That's why Paul says in verse six, in chapter 6 and verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. If we put all the work on one person, then people are going to lose heart and they're going to give up. It takes a team. It takes everybody to be committed. When someone sins, we need to be there. Not to judge them, we need to be there to help them overcome that temptation. We need to be there to help them to restore them. It begins with teaching them the truth. And when they repent, then our fellowship can be restored and enjoyed. And when someone sins and they repent, we need to forgive them. We need to encourage them. We need to help them. We need to help them out of those scenarios where they might be tempted. We need to be there as a partner, as a friend, as a brother or a sister in Christ. We don't need to judge them and we don't need to leave them out in the dry and say, well, you got yourself in that mess so you can get yourself out of it. bear each other's burdens. Paul, he helps us see this principle, I believe, in another text in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 14. In Romans chapter 14 and in verse 19. In Romans the 14th chapter and verse 19, Paul says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. If you want your brother or your sister in Christ to get stronger, to be better, then it begins with your attitude towards them. Are you willing to help them? Are you willing to encourage them? Are you willing to be there when things might be difficult for them. You know, sometimes you might hear people say, well, that's just their problem. Or that's just their issue. And, the, and someone who's always making a comment about everyone else and how they're doing it wrong. If that's our disposition, then we're beginning in the wrong place. We have to look inwardly first. If we want to have peace in the church, it begins with looking in the mirror. It begins with looking within my life and making sure that I am doing what I'm supposed to do. It begins with you looking at your life and making sure that you are doing what you're supposed to do. After we do that, then we can be capable and in a position to help Others best. Thank you. Then finally, if we're going to have peace in the church and maintain that peace, then I would suggest that 
it begins or it ends rather with keeping our eyes on the goal. In Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 5, For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. When we learn to set aside all of our bickering, aggravations, and disappointments, and when we allow peace to reign supreme in the church, then we can get about the work of concentrating on what really matters, our eternal hope. Paul uses the language later on in chapter 5 with the fruit of the Spirit, an agricultural kind of idea, fruit that is born because a seed that's planted. He continues on with that thought in Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 8. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are the household of the faith. We need to be working and busy about sowing the things of the Spirit so that we are reaping the things of the Spirit, so that we are focused on eternal life. Because there is nothing more than that would please Satan than for him to see our struggles, our our backbiting and our arguing, and non-peaceful relationships distracting us to the point that we forget our hope. That is what Satan wants us to do, and it makes his job extremely easy. Because if we give up our peace with one another, then we give up our hope and our future home. Paul makes it very clear in chapter 5 and verse 20 of Galatians, or verse 21, that all those things, those enmities and strife and jealousy, outbursts of anger, those disputes and dissensions, that we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We give up our home. If we're not focused on peace and the hope of righteousness, faithfulness to God will demand that we always look for the hope of heaven. We need to continue to live by faith so that we may dwell in heaven with our God and with one another. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 22, in Revelation chapter 22, the Apostle John describes a beautiful picture of that home above. Revelation chapter 22 and in verse 1, if you don't turn there with me, just maybe close your eyes and picture this scene. If you're there reading it, reading along, try to picture this in your mind very vividly. Then He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. If you're a Christian, someone who believes in Christ and has put him on in baptism, you need to let this image be in your mind all the time, day in, day out, where you can see God. That's the promise that we have. My family, we have a thing that we will sometimes say to each other, particularly if we're going to be traveling and we're going to be distanced from one another by several hundred or thousands of miles. Before... We might get on an airplane or something. We'll say, if we don't see each other again, meet me at the tree of life. We've planned a place where we're going to be reunited. And I would suggest that you do something like that as well. Let that hope of an eternal home in heaven, in the presence of God, be not just something that you say you want to go to, but somewhere that you are planning and expecting to be at. And that you are so certain and so sure of the God who has promised you that future hope and home in heaven that you are so certain that you make your plans to be there. Whenever you go on vacation, don't you make plans? You make plans to do this or to do that. You might be traveling with someone and you say, well, we will meet you at this place and at this time. Plan to be there. Plan to be reunited with your loved ones. Because the Lord will always be with us. And when He is with us, we have a promise from Him. In the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 6, in Numbers chapter 6, and in verse 24, the Lord bless you 
and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. May the Lord always be with us. May the Lord always provide peace for us in our life and in our relationships within the church here. Christ came and He died so that we might have peace with God first and foremost. If you've never become a Christian, then you need to have that peace that God has promised you and that Jesus gave His life for you to be able to have. We would encourage you to come to Christ this morning. But if you're not living in a peaceful way, you need to repent. You need to seek God's forgiveness. You need to seek the forgiveness of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And may God always bless us with peace here at the West Side Church of Christ. If we can help you in any way this morning respond to the Lord's invitation, we would encourage you to come now as we stand and as we sing. There's a home sweet home up in heaven where Jesus has gone to prepare in that land that is fairer than crystal. How I long, how I long to be there. Jesus came to earth and He suffered. He died upon Calvary's tree. And I know my dear Savior is waiting. Won't you come do it now and be free? Oh, do not delay any longer, but come and accept him today. For today is the day of salvation. Take the time to believe and obey. Jesus promised to the wind.